Emmanuel. Well, here we are. I know uh, it's exciting here as you wind down a semester. I do remember my back in my days, counting the days, but uh, as Pastor mentioned, there's much more to do. How many would admit that you're tired? Can I see your hands, please? You're tired. Okay. Uh, that gets me worried. But anyway, uh, I can understand. I tell our Minutemen Evangelistic team the first couple of weeks on Friday night, I said, if you did, you're not tired, you didn't do it right. And um, uh, there's something about it. There's certain times it's not bad to be tired. The Bible says if you sleep in harvest, you're a son that causes, anybody know? You're a son that causes shame. Sometimes I'll teach our team there's a time to get rest and there's a time to cut the rest short. And the time to cut rest short is harvest time, harvest time. And uh, so I, I uh, told my daughters this. I said, you will not live at this pace the rest of your life. You couldn't do that. But you will know how to do crises. You will know how to do it when it gets like that. And that's what we're training you here. Uh, you won't be able to live on this level uh, these last two weeks, uh, at life, a lifetime of that. But uh, you'll know how to do it. You'll know how to do it. And it won't be intimidated by uh, daunting tasks. And that's our goal for you is you learn how to live uh, in crisis, learn how to live when there's a lot of pressure, a lot of things to get done, how to, to prepare for that. And so I trust that this... Uh, it was a learning time as well, and realize it is a time of harvest, particularly Saturday, um, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. It's harvest time, and so I uh, just encourage you there on harvest time, let's uh, see the full harvest. Uh, this is the time to uh, sacrifice and to make the contacts we need to, and certainly it's exciting to uh, see what the Lord is doing. And I don't know about you, I kind of sense that the Lord's working. You get a sense that God's doing something, and uh, I think it could be way bigger than we realize and could have ripples into the community for uh, uh, some time to come. So um, uh, let's uh, continue to pray and have faith about the matter at hand. And uh, certainly a lot of sowing and watering over the years has gone into this community. And I do believe, although we've seen some harvest, there's probably a time coming. In fact, I think they're probably uh, maybe sooner than later, when there's going to be a, a harvest that we've never seen before on the level. And so uh, let's uh, have an anticipation of that and certainly ask the Lord to help us concerning that. Well, uh, I guess you can call the series, I've already had one message, have two today and tomorrow, uh, on what I might call a prequel to 0100. A prequel to 0100, like I said a couple of days ago, uh, somebody might ask you how, long did it take you to, uh, how long did it take you to write that book, and the answer would be 59 years. Uh, because it really is a lifetime. When you write, you have a lifetime of experience, it's a journey, as you learn truth. And I suppose that the book Victory in Christ would be a prequel to my understanding of 0100. And uh, as I've read back through parts of this book, I've thought, wow, it really did frame my thinking. It really jarred some paradigms that I had that were not biblical, not correct, and made me grapple with some questions and thoughts that eventually gave birth to the whole message 0100, the whole concept. And so I'm uh, just walking through this since the book is freshly on my mind, obviously, and uh, just kind of some of the thoughts that really helped me form it up and then be helped to you. Now tomorrow, I want to preach off the back uh, chapter, and it's called The Peril of Perils of the Victorious Life. And I think it's a very important chapter for you. Some of you going home, and let's talk about the perils tomorrow of a walk of faith. That seems kind of strange, doesn't it, that there are perils? Well, we have an enemy, and as we'll see that tomorrow, uh, he has different um, uh, devices that he tries to use uh, to get us off of walking by faith. But right now, we'll just continue to develop this whole concept of victory in Christ. Now, if you remember our very first message, we dealt with the very important two things to really introduce you to the Spirit-filled life, and that's a, it's a life of surrender, first of all. There must be a surrender, a total surrender. I've probably heard those words before. A total surrender to the will of God. In other words, 0% my will, 100% his will, okay. And then, of course, the second thing is 
is total dependence. And so that's faith, and that's 0% trust in my strength and 100% trust in his strength, since I don't have any anyway when it comes to spiritual strength. Well, the next chapters kind of help us understand this a little bit more, and who knows, if I don't think we'll have time to get into the perils, but if we do, we will start that chapter, because I'm a little concerned in reviewing it that we'll get it done in one day. But the second chapter in this particular book, Victory in Christ, and if you want to go to Colossians 3 and verse 2, it'll just help us launch us in the direction here. Colossians uh, 3 and... Um, Actually, verse number one as well. We'll just read a couple of verses here. And uh, I want us to view, review the second chapter. We'll move past that into the life that wins. The life that wins. Chapter three, and we'll start in verse number one and read down through verse number four. If you then, been risen, if you then be risen with Christ, and of course we are. Some of you in Romans went through Romans six already, so you know that. Seek those things which are above where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things of the earth. For you're dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall we also appear with Him in glory. Uh, Trumbull is very honest in his own pilgrimage, and in The Life That Wins, he points out three indications that his life was a defeated Christian life. I'd like to review them because I'd like you to kind of throw it up against your own life and see how you're doing on these three indications. Now, I'm going to be just dead honest with you. As I read, reread the chapter, The Life That Wins, I said, you know, I understand what he's saying a whole lot more today than I did when I first read it, but I'm not sure I totally comprehend exactly where Trumbull was at that very particular moment. So it was encouraging and uh, challenging at the same time. But he points out three things that are really helpful in helping us understand where we are in appropriating the life that wins. Number one, there are great fluctuations in my spiritual life. In my conscious closeness of fellowship with God, sometimes I'd be in the heights spiritually, sometimes I would be in the depths. I want to ask you, do you live roller coaster Christianity? Okay, if you do, then you probably don't fully comprehend the life that wins. Okay, if you're up and then down and then up and then down, if you maybe have real heights but you have real lows, uh, that is not a good indication that you're getting a hold of the life that wins. Now, this is going to shock you, but I need to tell you this. Jesus Christ has a consistent spiritual life. Did you know that? He does not have ups and he does not have downs. And it's all on the up, if you want to put it that way. And so uh, great fluctuations in our spiritual life indicates that we're not really getting hold of them. Now, I believe, and I think Trumbull makes this clear, we're not talking about sinless perfection here. We are talking about a provision that is constantly there and a life that when we tap into it, always wins. Okay, so the wonderful uh, reality of that. And uh, we know to the day we die, you're going to battle with the flesh. We get that. And we understand that. Uh, but at the same time, uh, sinless perfectionism is one ditch, but the other ditch is sinful imperfectionism. In other words, uh, sinful imperfectionism has a chant. It has a cheer. And it's just two words. Nobody's... Yeah, yeah, that's the cheer of the sinful imperfection ditch. And, uh, and there's a lot of theologians in the sinful imperfection ditch. And there are some theologians in yesteryear in the sinless perfectionism ditch. And the reason there aren't any theologians left over there, because it didn't work. Okay, so, um, uh, so they're kind of gone off that ditch. Uh, but, um, but clearly, I think we've overcompensated now to the sinful imperfection ditch. And so we just say, well, that's the way it is. We're human, the flesh lusts against the spirit, which is all true. And so we kind of justify our fluctuations, our defeat. As, um, now, you have to understand, if you don't think about it, if you took Romans 6, you get this, you understand this. But um, uh, the truth is, for every one of us, every time you and I are tempted, guess what? There's a way out. 
every time. You have to believe that. You know why? Because the Bible teaches it, okay? So that'll keep you out of both ditches if you get a hold of that. So there's great fluctuations, number one. Number two, another conscious lack of my life was in the matter of failure before besetting sins. Okay, so first was his fellowship with God. It was up, down. There was not a consistency there. And uh, so that was the roller coaster. And then number two, a failure before besetting sins. In other words, a constant defeat or a constant realization. There might be victory for a while, but then back to those sins, besetting sins, uh, causing there to be havoc again once in life. So that's number two indication that we really don't yet totally get what, what uh, the life is that wins. And the third is a conscious lack in, my, in the matter of dynamic, convincing spiritual power that would work miracle changes in other men's lives. And so the third would be uh, spiritual supernatural effectiveness in our ministries. Okay, so those three things are helpful. Now you might be saying, well, you don't say preacher, I will say this. As a result of being here at BCM, I certainly see less fluctuation than I did. I certainly see uh, more victory over besetting sins than I have, and I certainly see more spiritual power than I have. And that's certainly encouraging that you're on the right track, okay? But he's trying to help us diagnose the fact that we don't yet get a hold of it. And maybe you get a hold of it more than you did at one time, and that's an encouragement. But um, Trumbull gives the testimony that he was so barren and so needy, and he didn't get it. But um, he said, uh, giving his testimony here, several months later I was in Edinburgh attending the World Missionary Conference and I saw that one of the, those whose writings had helped me greatly was to speak to men Sunday afternoon on the resources, plural, of the Christian life. I went eagerly to hear him. I expected him to give us a series of definite things we could do to strengthen our Christian life and I knew I needed them. But his opening words showed me my mistake. While they made my heart leap with new joy, what he said was something like this. The resources of the Christian life, my friend, are just Jesus Christ. <laughs> and that concept really stirred him that it's not resources plural, it's resource singular, but it's the resource of the Lord Jesus. And he is the life that wins. Obviously, and in fact, here's some com uh, co comments here. Uh, someone was counseling him and said, Oh, Mr. Trumbull, if we would only step out upon Christ in a more daring faith, he could do so much more for us. And so, uh, so anyway, the life that wins is the life of Christ. I think all of us understand that. And that brings us to the second, uh, the third chapter, which um, uh, certainly uh, may help us here. He deals with surrender and faith. And the third chapter is real and counterfeit victory. Real and counterfeit victory. Victory. And it's important for you to understand the difference between the, the both. Real victory is supernatural. Counterfeit victory, unsaved people can do. So let me say that again. Real victory is supernatural. Counterfeit victory is anything an unsaved man can do. Now I want to ask you a question. Can unsaved people stop drinking alcohol? Yeah, they can. Yeah, we heard of AA. In fact, AA can be extremely dangerous. Why? Have you ever witnessed to somebody who went through AA and looked to AA as, look what I've done, and they just don't get the gospel? Well, I have. Actually, AA is a hindrance to them getting saved uh, because of, look at what they've done. They've got counterfeit victory. They believe they've delivered themselves, and oh, they might give God a little bit of credit. There certainly is what we might call natural victory. It's human victory. Okay, I think all of us have known people who were smoking cigarettes. They were told, you're, you're going to get lung cancer, you're going to die, and they stopped. Okay, that's, that's what we might call grit your teeth, uh, victory. And he's trying to point out that counterfeit victory is really victory any human being can just uh, work hard and do. And so uh, that's the grit your teeth victory. 
It's like the person, uh, he gives the illustration of an old Quaker that uh, everybody commended because uh, no matter what the provocation was, she seemed calm and she was not seething or angry. And she said, oh, but I'm seething inside. Now that's counterfeit victory. Any one of us, some of you do better than others, can keep your mouth shut. You know what I'm saying. I mean, you can clench your teeth. And thinking, oh, man, I'd really like to say it, but I know I'm better than doing that. It'll get me in trouble. So, and yet you're seething inside. Now, I want to ask you a question. Is that true victory or is that counterfeit victory? What's well, counterfeit victory because you really want to say it. And obviously there's human constraint. It's like this. If a salesman is about to really lock up a big sale and the person he's working with really provokes him, says or does something that is really provocative, can an unsafe salesman keep his mouth shut so he can make the sale and make money? And the answer is every single time. He's motivated. Hey, listen, politicians can keep their mouth shut, unless your name's Donald Trump. He's the only one I know of that cannot restrain himself. But uh, uh, most politicians, uh, you know what it is? When you think of the word being political, what does it mean? mean? Being political means you play both sides. You don't say certain things, you do say certain things because you're trying to manipulate people. In other words, it's not wrong for us to be politically sa savvy, but it is wrong for you to be political. Because being political is wrongly motivated. You're just trying to curry favor with people that, in a way that is dishonest. Okay, it's different than being politically savvy. That means you understand the political landscape, and I'm talking even in an ecclesiastical sense. Uh, my dad was not political, but he was very politically savvy. <laughs> he understood movements and men and what was going on, but he didn't play politics. So, um, so we all understand counterfeit victory is just the flesh doing what the flesh can do because it's motivated for self-preservation, self-promotion, self-glory, and it doesn't, doesn't, do, doesn't do certain things to advance ourselves. Okay, that's counterfeit victory. And I know sometimes in a Christian college like this, you come in, you see the upperclassmen. How many would say this? And how many senior, juniors and seniors would say that when you arrived on campus, you were wowed by some of the seniors? Can I see your hand spiritually? You were wowed by them, okay? How many of you freshmen admit that? Okay, you're freshmen right now, freshmen, sophomores. It's like, wow, you won't admit it. Okay, you will when you're a senior, okay? Uh, I remember when I came in as, as a freshman, I was wowed by some of the seniors. Like they seemed to have iron fire for God, they were consistent devotionally, they seemed to have a prayer life, they were winning people to Jesus and had a heart for God, and I saw myself as completely devoid in most of those things. Now one of the dangers was I tried to be like them without any supernatural intervention. And you know what I found myself? Failing. In other words, I'd go down to the prayer meeting, a prayer room, hey, these guys have prayer time, I'm going to have prayer time, I'd fall asleep, you know. And... Uh, and I'd go, I, I mean, I'd try to read my Bible, and I wouldn't get much out of it, and try to go soul winning, nothing would happen. I had no supernatural stories. And the reason was why, because I was attempting to do it through my life, not through Christ's life. And so, um, so real and counterfeit victory, uh, here's what he says, the victory you get by trying is counterfeit victory. Trying is doing it ourselves, and trusting is let the Lord do it. Now, please understand. Victory without trying is, is a kind of a stunning, it's the next chapter after this, victory without trying. Now let me just simply say, what the Bible is not teaching is victory without movement or not victory without action. Could I put it to this way, if you could just kind of help, help, help yourself understand this. The Bible says trust and, or not the Bible, the songwriter says trust and obey. Now where does it get that? It comes from the Bible. The truth is, if you and I are in a, total trust to Jesus Christ to enable us, what are we going to do? And the answer is we're going to obey. 
But we're not obeying in self-dependence. We're in obeying in dependence upon him to supernaturally intervene. So victory without trying is not victory without action. It's not victory without verbs. It's not victory without movement. It is not passivity. I like how Ian Thomas puts in his book, The Life, uh, the Indwelling Life of Christ. We're not talking about passivity. We're talking about his activity through me. Because once we understand that in and of ourselves, we don't have supernatural strength. None of you have supernatural strength. None of you. See, one of the problems we have today is people view God through the superhero prism. I try to help teenagers understand there is no superhero that man has, has come up with that even come close to God. I mean, God is so far beyond that. And one of the reasons even some of you are enamored by the superhero theme is I believe that's part of our searching for God. I think it's part of humanity searching for God, and they create these superheroes. And it's the best that humanity can come up with, but God so far surpasses it. And I think in many cases, it even has theological damage. I'm talking about the culture, the whole concept of it. But you know, friends, when it comes to us, we're not trying to be superheroes because you and I will never be a superhero. I'm even talking spiritually. Because you and I will never have supernatural strength, but we can certainly tap into one who does. See, you have to understand, even when you get old like me, okay, you're still not going to have any supernatural strength. And you have to understand, when you tap into Jesus Christ, it is simply somebody who's weak and always will be weak, tapping into somebody who's strong, who will always be strong. And the thing I hope each one of you understand, even with age, you will need Jesus as much when you're 59 as when you're 15. <laughs> See, because you're still bankrupt. You still don't have anything in and of yourself. Now, hopefully by that time you're spiritually mature, and maturity is simply uh, a consistency. You're learning to walk by faith in a more consistent fashion. Now, I have learned this probably the hard way, particularly from students. Uh, they begin to walk by faith and their spiritual gift begins to explode. Maybe they, maybe they got the gift of the evangelist and they start to see a lot of people saved. Or maybe they got an, a pastoral gift and they just begin to mentor, disciple people. And there's a supernatural, uh, just something happening in their life. And here's the thing that I, I think years ago I used to uh, assume that because they were being spiritual, they were spiritually mature. But that's not the way it is. You see, at your age, I hate to tell you this, probably you can't be spiritually mature. You know what the problem is? You haven't had time to get there. <laughs> spiritual maturity, as I've told my daughters this, is well, you know how to counsel yourself out of your problems. <laughs> you know how you counsel yourself back into spirituality. So there becomes a consistency in your Christian life. In other words, you're more consistently tapping into the life that wins. You're more consistently tapping into a life of faith. You're more consistently, even when you fall, you trust Jesus to restore you, to cleanse you, to give you victory where you've been defeated, and there becomes a greater consistency. And so I've learned that when somebody's spiritual gift is exploding, that doesn't necessarily mean they're spiritually mature. Many times time will show that they're not. They're spiritual in the sense that they are tapping into Christ, but they're not spiritually mature yet. It takes time to develop spiritual maturity, which is simply consistency. It's consistent faith, if I can put it this way. Okay, so um, victory while trying, again, is not passivity. And I hope you get that. It's not passivity. It's not sitting around waiting to be zapped. I have simply found that the way you tap into the life that wins is by a faith step. There's usually an action tied to the faith step, uh, and it could be a variety of things. For instance, um, maybe uh, as you're going through your, your Christian experience, uh, well, let me give you a, a little story here. Several years ago, I had a young man. I worked in our ministry. This was well before 
my involvement in BCM wasn't even in existence at the time, but I remember him coming to me and he said, uh, Brother Van Gelder, he said, uh, I'm struggling with the assurance of my salvation. And, and he began to tell me what he was struggling with. He began to tell me what he knew the answer to be. And, and uh, it was like, why did you tell me? Because he seemed like he had it under control. And then he said this, the reason I've told you is because I believe when the Bible says God gives grace to the humble, that he'll give me grace to get through this. And I've just felt led of the Lord to tell you, and I've just felt it was good for me to do that. Well, I understand now what he was trying to do. He was just being honest to the person he believed God wanted him to be honest to, uh, to really grace him. And sometimes there is a need to take a step of humility, a step where you go to your spiritual leadership or your mom, your dad, and just maybe, hey, here's a bad battle I'm going through. Here's what I believe the answer is. I just believe God wants me to open with you. And you know what? I don't know about you, but there's certain times when you, now again, there's a time when there's a Santa counterfeit. We'll talk about that tomorrow. But when God is leading you to do that, you know what happens? Grace. You get graced. Why? Because that's an action step that God says he gives grace to the honest, the humble, those that need God. And so, uh, uh, so anyway, uh, that's what we're talking about here. We're talking about real versus counterfeit victory. There's often a faith step. So when it says victory without trying, we're not talking about victory without verbs. Okay? There is action steps, but those action steps are made in a total awareness Physical strength cannot do what i got about to do. I'm going to need supernatural intervention. I don't need just help. I need God to absolutely enable me to do what I know I cannot do. See, one of the greatest things you can come to understand is your bankruptcy, your spiritual bankruptcy. And you know what God continues to orchestrate in your life, and that is he orchestrates uh, 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 you coming to the end of yourself, so you become to, uh, aware that I can't do this in myself. I put it this way. Failure is God's reminder that you cannot live the Christian life in your own strength. Every time you fail, and I've said this before here, but I'm gonna, you hear me say it again. Every time you fail, you have a temptation. You know what the temptation is? Discouragement. How many have ever failed God and gotten discouraged? May I say this, the discouragement, I believe, I don't care what your sin was, probably was a greater sin than the sin that caused the discouragement. Even some of you guys that looked at filth and get so discouraged about it. I am telling you that's a bad sin, don't get me wrong, but the sin of discouragement I think is worse. Because what you're saying is, God is not big enough to cleanse me, restore me, and give me victory where I've been defeated. God is not big enough to make grace abound where my sin abounded. God is not big enough to take stumbling blocks and turning them to stepping stones. It is unbelievable unbelief. And I will tell you, friend, I, I just a few, a uh, little while ago, I remember I was counseling somebody, and it was very clear the bottom line was unbelief. And I looked him in the eye, and I said, I'm going to use the gift of the evangelist, so please pardon this. But I said, you have an evil heart of unbelief. And you have to understand, anytime you and I doubt God, it's not a small matter, it is is evil. When you doubt God can cleanse you, when you doubt he can restore you, when you doubt he can give you victory where you've been defeated, it is evil. It is as wicked a sin as there can be. And as I've said many times, we all know that sin comes from unbelief. So the answer is discouragement comes from unbelief. So how in the world can unbelief be the answer for unbelief? And the answer is it's not. I see three steps away from faith. Number one, disappointment. You've heard me say that earlier in the year. Number two, discouragement. And number three, despair. Those are the three steps away from faith. The first step away is disappointment. The second is discouragement. And the third is despair. And anytime we get on that road away from faith, you're in trouble. Even when you become disappointed. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands because I know you all would. How many have ever been disappointed with a quiz or a test? 
Well, you say, preacher, shouldn't I be disappointed in myself? Well, here's the point. You ought to believe that God can use even that bad grade to help you be a better person and you're trusting Him to take that and work it together for good and you're not going to go down the disappointment road. Because you know what I found with people who get disappointed? Then they get discouraged. And then you know what happens? They come in despair and they have no hope. It leads you away from faith. And the whole idea of victory in Christ is it's a life of faith. It's supernatural. And so there's, uh, it's often, again, faith is not tied to inactivity, it's tied to his activity. <laughs> a dependence on God to enable you, but he'll never do it until you take a step of faith. Now, as we've talked about, you read the, some of you read the book Zero 100. When Peter got out of the boat, he didn't use physical strength. I mean, he did use physical strength, but he wasn't depending on it. Not to walk on water, that is. That's the Christian life. When you get a hold of that, then you understand victory without trying. Because unfortunately, as I mentioned a couple days ago, uh, the professor I got in an email controversy with thought victory without trying was teaching passivity. And I'm thinking, you hadn't really read Trumbull because he's not talking about passivity. He's talking about Christ's activity in and through us. Wow. Supernatural victory. And I will tell you, friends, God gives supernatural victory, again, by faith. But again, it's often tied to an action step. I've been amazed when young people get honest with the proper people about failure in their life that they experience victory that they never thought they'd experience. And I will tell you, I'm counseling people all the time, particularly on this wounds journey, but I'm counseling people all the time. You know what I find? Men, for instance, men who have looked at pornography for sometimes decades. I've dealt with men who've looked at pornography for decades and are completely defeated, and they were completely defeated, and they never told anybody, and they hid it from everybody, but the moment they began to understand what they were doing and began to get right and deal with pastors or spouses or whoever they needed to do, they saw measures of victory they had never seen in their entire life. Now, they would tell you the victory is supernatural, but it was tied to a faith step. Are you with me on this? <laughs> the reason some of you do not have victory is because you have not taken the faith step that God's Holy Spirit has led you to take. And there are many times faith steps. And sometimes the faith step is simply this. I, I think anybody in this room who's lived any length of time and had any measure of spirituality in your life would tell you there have been supernatural deliverances in your life. Supernatural. Call unto me and I will. Yeah. There have been times, a call, I have to make this distinction. You've, I'm not going to preach the full message here, but simply say a call. Not every prayer is a call. Did you know that? But every call is a prayer. It's a slice of the prayer pie. <laughs> It's a thin slice of the prayer pie. And you cannot call unless there are certain circumstances. The only way you can call is when you're in an impossible situation. Go back and look at that verse in Jeremiah 33.3, and it's the context of Israel going back to the land. And Jeremiah just bought a piece of land, and Babylon's about to take over the land. And he bought a piece of land. Why? Because God said, I want you to buy the land because I'm going to, by your buying the land, I'm going to prove you're going to come back in 70 years to take the land back. You're by faith saying, this is our land. And in Jeremiah 33, 3, in the context of the impossible, call unto me and I will answer thee. God always answers a call. And a call means you're in an impossible situation. You're in total despair. There's nothing in yourself. You know, your despair of self, I should say. You know you cannot do this in and of yourselves. And you call out to God to do the impossible. Don't miss this, expecting him to do it. How shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? The very essence of a call is expectation. There have been times I have called, and I will tell you, immediately supernatural deliverance. Immediately supernatural deliverance. 
So my point is, if I hadn't called, I don't think I'd have gotten the deliverance. You tracking with me on the deal? <laughs> Many times faith is tied to an action step. So victory without trying again, friends, is victory without self-effort. Without self-dependence, that's what the author is trying to tell you. And please understand the difference. And what we're talking about is a, is a supernatural life. And if you've lived the natural life, you will understand the supernatural life is different. <laughs> How many out here have ever gone soul winning in dependence on your flesh? Oh, yeah. You know what I call that? Misery. <laughs> Total misery. How many would say, obviously we know it's Jesus, it's not us. How many have been in a soul winning encounter when God showed up? Blessedness. <laughs> in a way you can't even describe. It's like, whoa, that was fun. You know, let's do that again. And I mean that in a very sanctified sense, folks. It was a joy. It was a thrill. There's nothing like preaching and seeing God just break an audience down. You want to think, wow, that was great, man. That was unbelievable. Look what God just did. See, I want you to understand, friends, the Christian life is the life of the supernatural. And it comes by faith. And it comes by faith steps, which are faith without works is dead type steps. It's steps that God says, believe me enough to do this. And trust me to enable you to do the impossible, whatever it might be. So victory without trying and real and counterfeit victory are very important things. So it comes to another uh, thing here, and these all kind of tie together. Is victory earned or is it a gift? And obviously, in light of what we've just talked about, please help me understand something. Is victory, is victory uh, earned or is it a gift? And the answer is, it's a gift. It's a supernatural gift from God. Again, it's tied to faith, total dependence on God, and it's tied to a faith step in many cases. It could be a call. It could be a prayer. It could be uh, ringing the door next door neighbor's doorbell. It could be uh, inviting somebody to the concert. It could be uh, waking up at 5.30 and, and uh, uh, since you know you can't kneel and fall asleep, you're going to walk around and have your devotions. I mean, there's, it's usually tied to a faith step. How many have ever, how many in your life have, uh, uh, you're going to be honest, that there was at least one time in your life, probably many, that you didn't want to have your time with God? Oh, yeah, we got a lot of pagans in this room. And some of you didn't understand what I said. Some of you international students have somebody translate what I just said because you didn't raise your hand. Okay, but anyway, uh, I know I speak fast international students. My apologies. But um, uh, the point is, there's been many times in my life I didn't want my, have my devotions. How many have had a time where you didn't want to have your time with God, but you made a faith step and you started your time with God and God showed up? Yeah, see, that's the point. That's the point. It was a gift. Why? Because you believe God enough to say, God, I'm going to do this. And I need you, God. I can't go on without you today. Now, there's been times right before service I might have 10 minutes. And God's a million miles away. I've walked out of church doors and said, God, if you don't do something, we're done. And I don't know. There's been times where God will immediately come to my heart. And I knew God's going to bless in the service. There's sometimes I don't, you don't have time for extended time. There's times I call them flare prayers. You guys play for Pray flare prayers, okay? They're good stuff, man. Learn how to play. That's call. That's calling. That's calling. Okay, so um, that's uh, the idea. Um, here's just a couple of other thoughts here that he's writing here. To receive victory from him is to believe his word that solely by his grace he is this moment freeing us from the dominion of sin. And to believe on him in this way is to recognize that he is doing for us what we cannot do for ourselves. Christ's power is not futile without our effort but it is made futile by our effort. What he means by that is, it is made futile by self-dependence. 
How much self-dependence does it take before you will be defeated? And the answer is any amount. Any amount. And God is trying to strip away. That's what he means in these chapters, victory without trying. God is trying to strip away self-effort. And so uh, here's another thought. Victory of uh, the victorious life is brought about wholly by Christ and is sustained not by our continued effort, but through our continual receiving, which is a faith issue. That means any one of you in this room, no matter what your background, no matter how many, you know, we've talked a lot about the hurts, the wounds, and how many of those issues you have, doesn't matter what your problems are, everyone in this room has the potential to live vic victorious in Christ. You know why? Because Jesus lives in you. And Jesus is, is the need for everything you've got, every problem. And so it's a moment-by-moment -moment dependence on God that results in obedience. Have you ever noticed that sometimes you're really walking by faith really enjoying the presence of God, and the Lord puts it on your heart to do something, and you draw back and don't do it. And what happens at that moment? You step out of that moment by moment, walking with the life that wins. So what's the answer? And the answer is to trust Jesus to cleanse you, to restore you, and to give you victory where you've been defeated. And that's where, where I, uh, many times, uh, uh, just, I don't know about you, but the story of AI is so helpful on that issue. Because AI was, I mean, it, it was one of the little sins. What one of the big cities, it was one of the little ones. It was like, uh, if I would use a baseball analogy, it's like, um, it's like the worst team in baseball, which I have to think about it for a moment. I can't remember. Oh, yeah, the Baltimore Orioles last year. They would have been the worst team in baseball. How many knew that? How many knew that? Well, we don't have many baseball fans left. I got I to gotta work that on that you here. But anyway, had the Baltimore Orioles. And uh, it'd, be like, uh, it'd be like being the best team in baseball, which would be, I guess, I have to think about it. Who won the World Series last year? I want to say it was the Astros, but they got beat by somebody, I think, didn't they? Nationals, that's right. I was pulling for the Nationals. Okay, but anyway, forgot about them. Now, since they've never been in a World Series, you don't think about them in World Series, kind of like Cubs. But anyway, but um, uh, it's going to be like a team that's a great team, and they're going to play the Baltimore Orioles. Take them for granted. See, that's what they were doing, going into AI, took them for granted. And guess what? They lost. And they went to despair. And they start saying, we're done, God, we're, it's over. They're gonna, we're going to get wiped out. And God, of course, deals with them. And basically, Joshua gets up, and what does he do? He trusts God to cleanse them, to restore them, and to give them victory where they've been defeated. He dealt with his sin biblically and trusted God to give them victory where they were defeated. Did they get victory where they were defeated? And the answer is, yeah, they did. And you can too. You'll know you're in trouble is when you cycle in despair and discouragement when you sin. And do not immediately take the faith steps needed to deal with it. That might sometimes mean calling a parent or it might be talking to the dean's office or it might be getting right with a roommate. I don't know what faith step, but many times confession of sin is tied to a faith step because there's something else God says you need to do to get this thing right. But when you take that faith step, you can immediately trust God to restore you, cleanse you, and to give you victory where you've been defeated. See, That's the life that wins. That's the life of faith. It's a constant tapping into Jesus to meet whatever need we have. And we have them constantly. So let me encourage you to think about that because tomorrow we're going to deal with the perils of the life of faith. The perils of a dependence upon God. The perils. And I think some of you are going to identify, yeah, I fall into that peril. Yeah, I went for that one too. Yeah, I went to that one. Some of them I've alluded to today, but we'll lay them out tomorrow. And I hope you'll be encouraged by it. But here's the thing I want you to think about in the next 24 hours. Do I tap into the life that wins? Is my victory counterfeit or is it real? Is it supernatural or natural? Do I have victory without self-effort? Do I have God's intervention? Now, obviously there's action, but is it God supernaturally enabling me? to do it. So think about this. 
And uh, I, I trust it will help you in your Christian walk. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word and